0: John chapter 7 is where you want to go in your Bibles. If you're on a device, it's still John 7. Uh, and you can go to the ESV version this morning so that you can stay with us. John chapter 7. Well, I appreciate Scott's prayer for wisdom and clarity. I need it this morning. Uh, we have a lot of verses, so I'm just going to jump right in. We're just continuing to follow the life of Jesus through the gospel of John and the drama that uh, he finds himself in as he is slowly moving through life, working towards the cross, and a lot of just the, um, a lot of the division that surrounds him when he speaks words, and a lot of the pushback that he gets when he confronts people with the truth. And we're gonna see just another example of this uh, this morning as he invites people to come to him uh, if anyone thirsts, to find uh, the replenishment of soul uh, in him and through him. So let me pick up here with verse 1 in chapter 7. And uh, let's see how this all plays out today. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judah, Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil." You go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And uh, verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, whole, a, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You'll seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's our passage, passages, our many passages for this morning. This is God's word. Um, When I was growing up, Um, I know it's hard to believe now because of how much I tell you I don't enjoy camping, Uh, but we camped a lot growing up. Maybe that's why I don't love it so much now. It was not glamping, okay, to be clear. Um, It was not even sort of like low-level basic, hey, we just go camping and we have sleeping bags and tents. We didn't have any of that, right? So we would camp in the desert, and the one thing about the desert is that, um, no surprise, it's hot. It's hot in the desert. And um, we would go on these trips and I don't know why, because I was a kid and I didn't control any of these things, but you know, my dad would just be woefully underprepared and he'd bring a cooler and it was like, he threw like, this was before we had bottled water, right? The guy would throw like a six pack of iced tea in there and just think that was gonna last us like three days. And um, so we would, uh, we'd have a big cooler full of ice and like one six pack of iced tea. And uh, we would go out there and we'd ride motorcycles for three days, which if you've ever done that, it it tends to make you thirsty. And uh, we would get to the end of these trips, the sun beating down on us. And we were just, we were literally, I think literally dying of thirst right at that point. And um, we would be at some point, we'd be just reaching in, getting handfuls of this dirty ice water that was at the bottom of our Coleman cooler and um, anything just to, uh, just to try to quench our thirst. And um, what would happen is we would drive home, we would stop off on the way home to grab a bite, and, and, and we would just get served just, you know, just just glass after glass after glass of water. And we're sitting there just guzzling this water. We're trying to eat a burger, but really we're just guzzling water. And it was horrible. And we never learned our lesson. We went back, you know, two weeks later with, you know, a, Coleman full of ice and one six pack of iced tea um, but we were we were in need right we were in need of hydration we were we were Dehydrated, We see a metaphor in that with what Jesus is offering here as he gets to the very end of this passage, as he's made his way uh, to the temple, as he's teaching the people, as the people just continue to misunderstand everything he's saying. And on the very last day here, when we get to verse 37, he stands up. And there's drama here, right? It's, it's culme- you know, everything he's done is culminating to this one moment where he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is offering something that we need, but the problem is understanding and seeing the need. It's like when family or friends urge you to go see a doctor, but you say, I'm fine, right? They see something that you don't want to see or they, that, that, that you see, but you actually just choose to ignore. And Jesus here is saying here at the end of verse 37, look, if you are spiritually thirsty, come to me. I have something that's going to hydrate you spiritually. I am the well to draw the water that gives you life and then will flow out of your heart as the result. And by the way, the signs that we are spiritually thirsty They're everywhere. They're everywhere in our lives, right? If you look, you want certain things that are going to hydrate you spiritually. You want love, you want grace, you want mercy, you want peace, you want justice, you want compassion, you want affirmation, you want identity, you want wholeness, right? You want those things. The signs are there that you are thirsty. The question here, and as we see all through this passage, is are we going to go to the place to give us that spiritual hydration? Are we going to be like these people who, who, who over and over again, it says the word Jews, it's really just talking about the people that are opposing Jesus. This is not something that we gotta want to be very careful about this, you know, we don't want to be anti-Semitic and think, oh, this encompasses, you know, Jewish people as a whole. We want to talk, think about this rightly. When it says the Jews who are coming against Jesus, that are pushing against his words, that are not receiving who he is, it's basically all these people back in that day that were just opposed to him. They wouldn't receive his words. They couldn't see their need. They couldn't see that they were hydrated, right? But what we see here in verse 37 is that Jesus offers himself as the living water that quenches a spiritual thirst that we don't really know we have until our eyes are open to it. So what I want to do is I want to look at what areas here in these passages. There's a lot of them. But what areas do we see a thirst for Jesus manifest itself here? What are are a couple of areas? That's all we're going to have time for this morning to look at. And the two areas are here. It's the area of discernment that kind of shows us that we have a spiritual thirst. And then the area of distrust. So we're going to look at discernment and we're going to look at distrust. Discernment, the one we're going to look at first, how would we define that? Well, discernment is seeing the good That God is doing. It's seeing the good that God is doing in the world and in your life. So to be discerning is to back up and say, God, I see where it is that you're moving. I see what it is that I am called to do based on your word. And I want to step into that. And I want to obey you out of a motivation of love and gratefulness and good for myself and good for my for my neighbor. So we see here as we pick up in verse 1 that Jesus is being asked by his brothers to come on out to this thing called the Feast of Booths. Now the Feast of Booths was an annual feast that began in the Old Testament um, and it was a command given by God that once a year they would do a seven day feast um, as a way to remember that when God uh, delivered them out of Egyptian exile they had to live in tents. Right? So this was, a, this was a feast that was symbolic in some ways and allowed them to remember God's great rescue of them out of Egypt. So it ended up being a really big thing. It was a big deal for everybody to come and travel into uh, this feast. And so Jesus, as we saw, as we picked up in verse 1, said, It's not yet my time. Um, his brothers were urging him to come to the feast. And he said, It's not yet my time. You go to the feast but I'm going to stay behind. And what we see in verse five is that it says, for not even his brothers believed in him, right? So we see, this, we see this moment where the brothers are saying, Jesus, come to the feast, but then we're told that they didn't even believe in him. His brothers are urging him to do something that will actually just increase his status, increase his fame. They were clueless when it came to his mission, not because they, they couldn't have been told what it was, Uh, but because they wouldn't have been able to spiritually discern what Jesus was saying or doing, right? They were spiritually hydrated. Paul spoke to this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Listen to what he said. He said, I'm talking about discernment. He said, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So his brothers are urging him to kind of up his status, take advantage of the opportunities that he has, and Jesus is saying, "Well, you're not getting this. It's it's not my time. I'm not going to the festival, the feast of booths, um, just just to increase my notoriety, like you guys are all suggesting that we do." But they didn't have the discernment to know what exactly Jesus was out there doing. I mean, they're, they're watching their brother. They don't believe that he is the Christ. So the only way that they have to look and to judge at what he's doing is somebody that, you know, anybody that's sort of getting out there among the people, anybody that's preaching, anybody that's, that's pushing a message. It must be because they're trying to build a platform. And that's the only way that his brothers can even understand what it is that Jesus is trying to do. I had this person in my life one time. um, It wasn't long after we had planted the church and, you know, we, 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 We'd, uh, you know, we'd gained some new members and we weren't in here, we were just over there in a really tiny space. And, uh, but we had gotten to be about 50 or 60 people and you know, the Lord was starting to do some work and we were starting to get some stability and we had a little bit of momentum going, all the good things that you wanna happen when you, when you plan a church. And I remember this guy who was a really just kind of successful business guy, uh, not a believer, and, but he really was fascinated by the business of church because he had, he had done some financial work for a church in the past. And so I remember him coming to me one time, he said, hey, I really need to sit down and talk to you. And I said, yeah, what's up, you know? And he said, I need to know where you're heading. I need to know what your plan is. I need to know what you're doing next. And I said, you mean like tomorrow? You mean like this Sunday? Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean, you know? Well, he said, look, he goes, obviously you're gonna wanna keep moving up the ladder. It's cool that you did this whole thing. Um, but, but you need to get to a church that has more power and influence. Can I help you do that? You know? And I went, you could potentially. I said, but that's not really part of the plan. I go, that's not, that's not what this is all about. It's, it's not all about just like doing this and, and trying to do something that's going to sort of build the, uh, you know, the Martin empire. I go, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a member of this church and w- along with the team, we planted this church, God's growing it slowly, blessing it. Um, but but I'm here to to be the pastor of of this church. It's it's not not about power moves. And I remember him looking at me going, you just gave me the right answer, right? That's the right answer. That's the answer you need to give. I go, well, it is the right answer, and it is the answer I need to give. He goes, but but I I know you must be thinking of what's next. I go, I promise I'm not. I go, it doesn't mean God wouldn't open up something down the road. I mean, that was, you know, it's been years and years, you know, and I'm I'm happy being here serving you all. Um, But he could not understand he, he it conceptually, it just didn't make any sense to him. He could only see what we were doing as the first rung in a ladder that I needed to be stepping up. He, he didn't spiritually discern what it is that we are doing here as we gather on Sundays, as we are forming into a community of, of Christ followers, right? He, he didn't get that. So in the mind of Jesus's brothers, Jesus needed to capitalize on the success he was having. And the Feast of Booths would be the perfect venue to do that. Like if you're really who you say you are, improve the marketing, Jesus. If you don't want to be known, make yourself available to the world They could only ascribe worldly motives and desires to Jesus. Why? Because their motivations and desires had not been spiritually redeemed. They lacked the discernment necessary. They were dying of thirst. That spiritual thirst had not been quenched. Therefore, their discernment was non existent. They were thirsty for the living water of Jesus. They needed that water to flow from their hearts so that their hearts could discern the desires, the passions, and the mission of Jesus. So, what happens is Jesus ends up coming to the feast privately. Now, that, that, that wasn't a bait and switch. We see that Jesus, on one hand, says, I ain't coming. Uh, His brothers go to the feast and then it's like he does a quick change of mind, almost like he was telling them something they wanted to hear. And then he comes. Well, that's not it at all. It just meant that his time had indeed come during the time that they had already left for the feast. And Jesus, in obedience to the Father and the prompting of the Spirit, ended up going to the feast. But he did it privately. He didn't do it publicly. He didn't do it in a way that would draw more attention to himself. And that gives us a picture of the character of Jesus and actually the discernment of Jesus, right? But when he comes, he comes into a lot of chatter, a lot of murmuring, a lot of muttering it says on the streets. Um, all kinds of opinions about him, many that were mixed. Some said that he was good. Others said he was deceptive there in verse 5. The jury was out on who he was and what he was doing. So he begins teaching in the temple. And we learn that the Jews are impressed and they're marveling because they knew Jesus. He didn't have any of the formal training that the rabbis had had at that time, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders at that time had, had. When we go to the, when we read in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter seven, it tells us that the way Jesus preached, the way he communicated was even so different than, than the method and the style of preaching that we saw at the time. Matthew seven twenty eight says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus spoke God's word differently than the men of the day were doing it. He spoke it it definitively, which was different from the teachers of the day, who spoke actually a little more philosophically. They would say, well, this person says this and this person says that. And here's how we might want to think about it if we consider uh, this teaching and this teaching and this teaching. And Jesus basically just went... This is what God says. This is it, right? And so there was a particular authority that Jesus preached with that just astonished uh, people because it was so different from the teaching of the day. And Jesus explains them in verse 17. He said, look, if, if you had hearts that were eager and transformed to do the will of the Father, you would know you would know that my words were true. You would know the words that I'm preaching to you are true. Um, and we, we know that his words are true and he's pointing out that his words are true because he always gave glory to God the Father. There was, is it, there was an authenticity to the words of Jesus because he didn't make it about himself, right? Jesus was not seeking his own glory like his brothers encouraged him to do. So, so Jesus, what he does in this moment as he begins teaching in the temple, he calls them to task. Because although they prided themselves on having the law of Moses that they felt that they kept to a T, that they kept religiously, the fact is, is that they didn't even obey it. They were a walking contradiction. Instead, they actually wanted to kill Jesus because he was actually the fulfillment of the law. They didn't have a heart to understand that. But what's so interesting is that as they were judging Jesus for not keeping the law, the motivation they had for killing Jesus would be the biggest breaking of the law in all of the law, right? They just didn't understand. They just lacked discernment. They didn't have any of it in their hearts to see Jesus for who he really was. So instead, they judged him for breaking the law on the Sabbath. Remember back in John 5, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and they judged him for that, even though Jesus points out they technically broke the law by circumcising on the Sabbath, right? It made no sense. It made no sense. That's what Jesus is trying to point out here. They lacked discernment. They did not judge, he said, with right judgment, but by appearances only. To them, it was more important to stay within the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law, right? And we got to be careful about that in our own lives, right? We wanna dot our eyes, we wanna cross our T, and then sometimes uh, at the expense of our motivations being purified by the Lord, and then our neighbors suffering as the result. Our neighbors getting judged by us as the result. Our neighbors not being loved by us as the result because they're not crossing the T and dotting the eye the way we say it needs to be crossed and it needs to be dotted, right? That's what Jesus is, is driving at, right? That's what he's driving at. They lacked spiritual discernment because they were dying of spiritual thirst. So easy for that to happen to us. Let's turn to uh, Romans. You want to go right, take a right and go to Romans chapter 2. Paul covers this uh, in his letter to the Romans. I like the way he, uh, he unpacks this, gives us an idea of this and how prone we are to fall into this. Chapter 2, verse 17, you can, you can still turn there. I'm just going to start reading. But he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And what they did was they broke the law in their hearts, right? They lacked spiritual discernment. And here's what's sobering is that we do this far more than we think, right? We approve the message of Jesus when he calls us to something we're comfortable with or something that aligns with the beliefs or the traditions we've already worked out, we already feel good about. But it's a lack of discernment that clouds our judgment. So instead of thinking rightly, like Jesus instructs or with integrity, We think and say and do things that are actually in opposition to the words of Jesus because our motivations are wrong. The Jewish leaders, they they were blinded by tradition. They were blinded by expectations of what they thought Jesus, the Messiah, should be. So instead of their hearts being softened by Jesus' words like we spoke about last week, they were actually hardened against him. Their traditions, their their adherence, that's the word, their their adherence to the law um, allowed them to function in a way that ignored the motivations of their heart. They were dying of thirst. They were dying without the spiritual hydration that Jesus was offering them. They would not come to him and drink. If you guys have seen this movie, Jesus uh, Revolution, uh, it's the story of Uh, a pastor named Chuck Smith who started the Calvary Chapel movement back in Southern California. Um, It's a really great movie. Um, I'm not, I'm not an endorser of movies typically, but um, it's a, there's some, there's some good parts to it, but it tells the story of Chuck Smith back in uh, the late sixties when hippie culture was rising and um, none of the churches were letting the hippies in. Why? Because they looked weird. They, they weren't letting them in because they looked, like Je- they looked too much like Jesus, but like the outward version of what Southern Californians thought Jesus looked like, which was like blonde, blue eyed and like surfing. Right. Um, so they wouldn't let the hippies in, into their churches because they didn't wear shoes. They, they could be dressed a little immodestly. Um, and so Chuck Smith comes into contact uh, with, with a hippie through his daughter. And um, this, uh, this dude goes, hey, Chuck, here's the thing. Like, we love Jesus. Those of us who have been saved, we love Jesus. We just can't find a church because everybody shuts their doors to us. And so Chuck was convicted by that. And he said, okay, I don't understand this. I'm uncomfortable with this. But he starts to let hippies into his church building. Again, who didn't wear shoes. Um, but what happened was with some of his older members, this didn't fit the expectation of what they thought church was supposed to be like, Right. They couldn't discern that God was moving this way because it broke. It broke with the, the tradition that they had with their, with their suits and their ties and their, and their formalities. There's nothing wrong with suits and ties, right? But if that is the basis of which you operate out of an understanding that that is what God accepts, that is what God wants from me, then you don't have spiritual discernment, right? You're not seeing the good that God is doing through the illumination that the holy spirit puts into the eyes of your heart our desires and passions they seek to be quenched and what happens is we look to substitutes we've talked about this a couple times during the series we look to living water substitutes now i don't know about you guys so this is personal but when i'm thirsty and i mean i mean thirsty thirsty like how i described in in the you know when we used to go camping in the desert Nothing quenches my thirst like just pure water quenches my thirst, right? If there's a, if there's a hint of syrup or like flavoring in it, it, just, it actually just makes me more thirsty. I, I just can't quench my thirst. I need pure drinking water. We need what Jesus offers in its purest sense, which is Jesus, right? It's pure. It comes without artificial sweeteners. And that's what we see this people that he goes to the Feast of Booths as he starts preaching that are murmuring and muttering about him, that are misunderstanding who he is. There was an area of their life due to their lack of spiritual hydration that they lacked a sermon in. The second area that they they lacked because of their spiritual hydration was distrust. They didn't trust Jesus. They questioned Jesus' origins in verse 25. They they couldn't believe that the true Messiah would come from Galilee or that his geographical origins could even be known at all, right? Even though he was actually born in Bethlehem, like uh, like the prophecy said. But Jesus does this interesting thing. and He shifts them from the earthly to the eternal. If they had believed Jesus, And it always comes back down to that. We've talked about this so much in this series. If they had believed Jesus, if they had believed his miracles, right, which gave evidence of his divinity, they would know that Jesus was clearly sent by the Father from heaven, which is, by the way, where he would be returning to be with his Father. That's what he meant when he said, where I'm going, you cannot come. They simply did not trust the words of Jesus because they did not take Jesus at his word, right? They didn't believe who he said he was. They're like, what's he talking about? What does he mean? Is he he gonna become some Jewish exile? Is he gonna go teach the Greeks as part of this Jewish dispersion? It was like they were being willfully ignorant in some ways. They distrusted his words because their spiritual thirst had not been quenched because rivers of living water were not flowing from their hearts. And so they ask, can he really be the Christ? Can he really be the Christ? Do, do the authorities think he's the Christ, but they're just kind of, they've, they've kind of obscured, they've kind of k- kept that knowledge from us? Can he really be the Christ if we just know who his parents are, we know where he was born? It all seems so average. It all just seems so mundane. How, do, how can we trust that he's the Christ when we just see him and he's just this man? And then other people say, but if he's not the Christ, how can he be doing the works he's doing? And so public opinion was just... It was like bouncing off the walls. It was all over the place. So they try to arrest him. But it wasn't Jesus's time. And it's interesting for us to think and to imagine that even sending guards to try to arrest Jesus somehow as he speaks to them, they they never put the cuffs on him. It's not his time. Nothing was going to thwart his mission. That should be so encouraging to us as we think about our own spiritual thirst, right? As we think about our own lack of discernment in our life, as we think about the different ways that we distrust the words of Jesus, and it kind of gets laid out in the way that we live our lives, right? We always remember that Jesus is the one that is still going to accomplish his mission. And it's not even our unbelief, it's not even the things that we do to try to undo our life that can thwart that mission. It's encouraging. Right? Jesus was gonna do what Jesus was going to do. Nothing was gonna stop him. And there's nothing you can do to stop the work that he's he's doing. Your unbelief can't stop uh, his work. Your lack of discernment can't stop his work. The Lord is working in the world and you are part of the world that he is working in specifically. Imagine not being able to unravel the work of God. And the good news is that you can't. The good news is that I can't. But distrust is the result of being dehydrated spiritually. And this is something that we fall into far more than we think in our lives. It's like having a spiritual heat stroke, right? But we distrust the words of Jesus really the way we distrust anyone's words that we aren't close to. Here's what I mean. If I don't know you, I'm going to have a harder time taking your words at face value than if we had a relationship, right? So the heart of their distrust, what was it really? Well, it was a lack of relationship with Jesus, which is why when we get to verse 37, Jesus says, come to me. You got to know me. I need to know you so that you know the words that I speak are true. When Christians make just on a base level, when Christians make funny decisions, right? It's usually, based, it's usually because it's based on, on worldly logic, right? We see Christians making funny decisions all the time. A lot of times it's based on worldly logic, which is the result of being far less acquainted with Jesus than they think they are, right? They don't trust that what he is offering them is actually the way, Right? Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Maybe you've heard this verse a lot. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Here's the second part of that that passage. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Right? In all of your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, notice that there are ways in which you operate and think and act that are constantly threatening to take you out of the lane and the path that leads straight to Jesus who is saying, come to me and drink and become spiritually hydrated, right? So much easier to rely on your own gifting, isn't it? So much easier to rely on your own level of understanding. So much easier to say, nope, this is what I think. Don't, don't try to push it. Don't try, to, don't try to make me grow any deeper in my knowledge. I, that's too uncomfortable. I just want to stay where I'm at. I just want to believe what I want to believe. Yeah, but what if it's wrong? Don't tell me if it's wrong. Yeah, but you don't trust the Lord for his words the way that you should because you're making decisions that lack discernment and trust. Right? Psalm 20, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of of his right hand, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And this is obviously a passage speaking about, you know, David speaking about what it looks like for him to go to war, but look at what he says. He says, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. It's so much more tangible to trust in chariots and horses until they collapse and they fall. So you have these leaders here that are pushing against Jesus who will not trust the words that he's saying to be true. And Jesus is trying to point out the faulty nature of those words, how collapsible, how fallen they are. And even in our own lives, we see that trusting the Lord, it's nice in theory and so much easier when we don't feel like we need to, right? Things are going great right now. I'm just cranking along everything's good. We prefer a Jesus actually for being honest. We prefer a Jesus who holds a magic wand. We prefer a Jesus who has fairy dust and sprinkles it out. Let me do my thing. Let me believe what I believe. Let me decide what I decide. And then you can come in the end and just bless it. That's a lot more convenient. It's a lot more convenient, but it doesn't It doesn't call us to trust in the words of Jesus. The way Jesus trusted the father in the garden the night before his death. Lord, if you can remove this cup from me, please do, but not my will, your will. Now we don't like that. We don't like that. Let me finish with this. What does it mean for us to come to Jesus and have our spiritual thirst dehydrated as we see These leaders not doing, not being able to do, refusing to do. Well, in a lot of ways, our spiritual thirst is quenched as we continue to come to Jesus, as we continue to draw to him. You guys are doing it right now. You're drawing to Jesus through the gathering of your church family. In that way, you guys are getting your spiritual thirst hydrated right now, even as we open the words, even as incomplete the sermon is, right? Um, There's a hydration that's happening because you've been confronted with the words of Jesus and they're not returning void. They're doing a work in your heart right now. You might not feel it. You might not know it. You might just be praying that I only have three more minutes left in this message, probably more like seven. Um, But that's the work that's happening in you right now. You are being quenched. Because when God's word is open, it's doing that work. So you guys are, you're doing that. You're having your spiritual thirst quenched by being in in church community. You, You have it done when you're in community groups during the week or in growth groups. You guys pray together, you open God's word, you feed each other physically. You guys connect with each other on personal levels. A lot of the ways that we, that we see our spiritual thirst being quenched and met is through the community of the church. It's through that personal devotion time. It's any time that we are moving closer to Jesus. So when Jesus offers us that invitation, he says, come to me. We're walking. We're coming to him. We're doing it in a multitude, in a myriad of ways. It's intentional work on our on our behalf, to, to make those moves, to get closer to Jesus. And what happens is when you taste and see the goodness of the Lord, this is the part I need you to hear more than anything else, right? It produces an increased desire for more of him. That's, that's the thing. That's the funny thing about it, right? If you are doled to Jesus right now, and you might be, and I'm glad you're here, Do you know that there are times when I am doled to Jesus and I am preaching a message to you? But if you are doled to Jesus right now, if you just feel dull to him, it's because you don't taste him often enough for your thirst for him to increase. So I went, I don't know what it was, a couple of years consuming almost no sugar in my life. Very depressing time for me. (laughs) Um, the worst two years of my life, if I'm being honest. Um, the interesting thing was though, is that the less I consumed, the less I desired of it. It was amazing. Um, which is saying something for me who I just, I can't get enough. I just, I like, I eat candy, like it's coming off the vine, right? I'm, I'm that guy. Right. Um, but we desire what we consume. We need to know that about ourselves and what we acquire a taste or a thirst for. We want more of, And it's interesting because when I decided to return to the land of sugar, which was a great day, um, I immediately just, I desired it all the time. And here we are today, right? Um, I've just lost all my inhibitions. Um, I'm constantly thinking about sweet things. Um, Why? Because I eat sweet stuff all the time, right? Horrible illustration. Don't follow that. But quenching your thirst by consuming more of Jesus, that's what we're getting to, right? Right? That's the only thing that produces the health, the healing, the wholeness that your soul longs for. Jesus doesn't want you to be deprived. He just wants you to have the thing that's going to bring satisfaction. He doesn't want you to be deprived. That is mischaracterizing the nature of God. He just wants you to have the thing that is actually going to hydrate you. And you know what? Some of you are so dry right now. It's okay. Your life is like a desert. It's like the third day on those desert trips that I used to camp at with my family. What Jesus points out in the end is that we have a Holy Spirit deficiency. We need to pray that he would renew our hearts, that he would replenish our thirst for Jesus, that he would increase our thirst for Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would do that work in you, that he would stir that work in you. The more we're thirsty, the more we're going to drink. Thirst is not bad. It's when we try to quench our thirst by drinking from dry or poisonous wells that our souls lack satisfaction. Jesus wants you to come to him. He wants you to drink more of him. He wants you to drink all of him. He doesn't want you to always be reaching for artificial sweeteners in your life. He wants you to have that discernment that comes from drinking from the well of Jesus. He wants your distrust to be transformed into deeper and greater trust. Why? Because you are going to Jesus. Jesus is the one that is becoming just an integral part of your life. What did we just sing? That was a question. Somebody say it. What was the last song we just sang? Somebody. Thank you, whoever just said all I have is Christ. We sing that because we're stating what needs to be true because it's not altogether true. We're singing what needs to be because it's not all that is being in our life. So we pray right now. You want to bow your heads for grace. We pray that we would come to Jesus in all the ways that he's given us to come to Jesus and all the ways that he's given us community and all the ways that he's given us his word and all the ways that he's given us promises and all the ways that we know we can trust him and all the ways that we need to discern what is good. We do that by coming to Jesus. We do that by becoming spiritually hydrated and filled with him through the spirit. So Lord, would you do that right now? Would you do that right now? Would you do that work in us? We need to be filled with the spirit. We need to have spiritual hydration for our souls. We are like deserts, we are dry. Lord, we need you to do that work. So Lord, what we can do is pray right now as a church Lord, that you would do that in us. What we can do right now is repent to you as a church and say, I just love all that other water. I love all the other things with the artificial sweeteners. I love drinking from wells that are dry and poisonous because they're tangible. Lord, I pray that you would sweeten our desire for you right now. Lord, inasmuch as you invited, you stood up and with a lot of passion and a lot of emotion, you called out and you said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So Lord, I pray that we would go to you in the way that we know how. We would do it right now. We would do it physically, Lord, at the conclusion of the service. We would do it throughout the week. Lord, we would seek you. We would pursue you. Lord, we want to be a church that has living water flowing from our hearts. Lord, we want to be nourished by you. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are doing this work. I pray that you would strengthen our hearts. You would increase our faith. Lord, you'd rehydrate us. By the work and the filling of the Spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.